All right, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Greg Lois. I am the managing partner of the Lois Law Firm. Uh, we are 25 attorneys defending workers' compensation claims in New York and New Jersey. Today, we're gonna to be talking about New Jersey's temporary disability benefits, uh, the rules uh, that apply to uh, issuing those benefits, uh, when we can stop paying those benefits, and I'm gonna talk about some recent and breaking case law that just came out this month, and actually it's a case that I argued before New Jersey's appellate division, and not to give away the exciting conclusion of today's story, uh, but after uh, our argument and after the appellate division sat on the case for about eight months, uh, they issued a decision rescinding temporary disability benefits, which were issued to a petitioner, and ordering the petitioner to reimburse us for all the temporary disability benefits, totaling over $90,000. So that's kind of an exciting win. I'm gonna talk about uh, the facts of that case and the legal arguments, and it's all gonna sort of tie in today to our broad overview of this topic. Now, I'm hoping that if you're with us here today, you have a copy of my book. Uh, our New Jersey Handbook is something we give out to all our clients and anybody who requests it, so please request a copy of my book if you don't have it. Uh, chapter six of the book, which begins on page 65, includes all of the rules and statutes and regulations about paying temporary disability benefits in New York, in New Jersey, excuse me. And then at the very end of the book, we have our cheat sheets, which include all of the year-by-year -year maximum and minimum benefit rates. So just have that handy. Uh, if you don't have a copy of our book, I'm very happy to send one or put one in the mail to you, so please feel free to ask for it. Now, New Jersey's pretty simple when it comes to uh, temporary disability benefits. There's only a seven-day waiting period, and that means the first seven days uh, of lost time are not compensated under the workers' compensation program. Typically, an employee will use their PTO time or sick time, and it's not until they reach the eighth day that we go back and fill in those first seven days of lost time, and that's called the waiting period. Uh, the reason for this is the vast majority of workers' compensation claims involve less than two weeks of, war of lost time. All right, so, uh, about late payments in New Jersey. When you're paying temporary disability benefits pursuant to Section 38 of our statute, you are not late until you have been 30 days overdue. Um, it does say in the statute that benefits are to be issued in like manner as wages, and uh, there is a 30-day late period. Now, if you are late, there's a 25% penalty on the amount of time that was overdue, uh, plus reasonable attorney's fees, which is typically found to be a proportion of the overall award. Uh, just as a reminder, on the bottom, you see that the uh, little banner flies in and says, this is a live presentation. This is 100% live. I see that we have a number of attendees. Please feel free to ask me your questions as we go. Please type them in uh, to me, and I will answer as many questions as I can get to at the end. All right, how much do we pay in New Jersey? Well, this is controlled by the statute. Uh, uh, the statute says that we are to pay 70% of the injured workers pre-accident average weekly wage. Well, what does that mean? First of all, uh, it is subject to maximums and minimums, and currently the maximums and minimums are $921 uh, per week as a maximum, and a minimum of $246 per week. Uh, the maximums and minimums change every January. Uh, we don't have the numbers for next January, but as soon as they come out, we'll be letting you know. Uh, this makes the pre-injury average weekly wage extremely important. Uh, New Jersey does not have a specific form. Other states may have a wage uh, recording form or demand a certain number of uh, payrolls be provided or have very specific rules 
for what you're supposed to do to calculate average weekly wage. New Jersey has none of that. The rule of thumb and our practical advice is to use a 26-week wage statement. That's approximately six months of earnings. So we'll go to the employer and say, just give us a list of uh, the payroll for this claimant for six months. We will then use that as the basis in the workers' compensation court for wages. This is very flexible. If you've only had the employee underneath uh, on your employment or on your payroll for 10 weeks, use 10 weeks. Uh, New Jersey does not have any similar worker or expectation rules, anything like that. Uh, the interesting thing is if the person's only been on your books uh, for one hour and they have their workers' compensation loss, we're just going to take that hour and multiply it by their expected number of hours per week. So it's a relatively simple state to come to average weekly wage. Now, uh, on the topic of average weekly wage, I want to use the actual weekly wages if we have them. Uh, sometimes uh, claimants will talk to you about uh, wanting to reconstruct, and they'll say, look, my guy only worked 20 hours a week, so let's reconstruct up to a 40-hour-a-week work week and use that as the basis. That is not the law in New Jersey. Uh, you do reconstruct wages for the purpose of determining permanent residual disability benefits. Think of those as scheduled loss of uses or permanent partial disability awards in New Jersey, but not for temporary disability, not for wage replacement benefits. We do not reconstruct for that. It is only for permanency. All right, a question I get all the time. Greg, is there such thing as partial permanent I'm sorry, partial temporary disability in New Jersey. And this would be a petitioner who can return to work, but they can only return to work maybe 20 hours a week and they were a 40 hour a week worker. Greg, do we have to uh, make up the difference? Well, I can tell you that there is no precedential case law on this and it certainly is not in the statute. Uh, the statute in New Jersey essentially says that the petitioner will be paid temporary uh, disability until they can return to work. It has nothing about ongoing partial wage loss. Really, our statute, the way it was going to or intended to resolve that issue was by way of a permanent partial disability award. Essentially, a permanent partial disability award is saying this person has an impairment. It's a medical impairment. It's going to affect their ability to earn wages, and that's why we're paying it. Interestingly, a New Jersey permanent partial disability award, uh, when it's paid, you get no credit for the temporary disability benefit uh, issued. So any wage compensation that we're paying, we're never going to get a credit for that against a scheduled loss of use award. So think of hands, finger, feet, and toes, or a permanent partial disability award. That's the way the statutes uh, is intended. New Jersey is a whole man impairment state or whole person impairment state uh, to correct uh, uh, the language there. Other states like wage law states will typically give you some type of credit for the amount of temporary disability you've issued, not in New Jersey. So uh, we argue that it is against our statute to play temporary partial disability. However, I put a big question mark here. And the reason I put a question mark here is because throughout New Jersey, different courts, different judges are making awards of partial temporary disability. And it has been the bar's uh, response to this, and I mean the defense bar, not to appeal these, because right now there is no precedential authority for partial temporary disability, but many employers and many carriers are choosing to do it anyway, just out of a spirit of fairness. Uh, so this is a little bit of a dealer's choice question. If you want to pay partial temporary disability, you can do it. If you don't, be prepared to make case law. All right, how about ending temporary disability? When do we end a payment of temporary disability in New Jersey? Well, clearly when the petitioner has returned to work, when they have reached maximum medical improvement, and that is defined as 
the plateau where there is no further curative medical care. Uh, they have now at that moment, if they have any residual impairment and, and inability to work, that is where they would transition from temporary to permanent partial disability because they have some impact on their workability. When the petitioner refuses to uh, come back and do accommodated work, maybe we have a light duty assignment, maybe we have something that we can offer for them to do, and they refuse to do it, uh, we will then stop playing temporary partial dis or temporary disability. When the petitioner is retired, and I'm talking about a voluntary retirement, this is someone um, who is scheduled to retire and does retire. Uh, you don't get temporary disability and there's no wage compensation because there's no job that you are retiring from. Uh, this is also similar to people who intend on leaving the workforce. For example, people uh, who say, look, I wasn't looking for a job anymore. I may have a partial disability, et cetera. Uh, we can also end temporary disability when there is a constructive refusal or a disobedience of a work rule such that it can be deemed as willful uh, uh, removal from the workforce by the petitioner themselves. And there's a couple of good examples in New Jersey. Uh, the most famous one of them is called the Cunningham decision. And this is where a petitioner uh, came back to work in a, a partial capacity and repetitively refused to follow work rules uh, including things like just not showing up, so it was absent. Eventually, the employer terminated them, and then the claimant said, great, I'm terminated, cool, give me my temporary disability benefit. And the employer was successful in showing that the petitioner's own activities uh, post-loss led to their separation. They knew they were going to be separated for the activity that they were doing, which is not coming to work, uh, and therefore temporary disability benefits should not be paid because it would create essentially a sham job. So uh, that's another uh, thing that we call constructive refusal or uh, a removal from the workplace by the claimant's own behavior. I'm going to talk about a decision that I just got from the appellate division exactly on that topic. And then the last way that uh, temporary disability benefits can end in New Jersey is at the end of 400 weeks. There is a limit to temporary disability benefits, 400 weeks, approximately uh, eight years. After that point of time, the state of New Jersey will say, you are no longer temporarily disabled, you are permanently disabled. So there's that limit. All right, just a reminder, this is live, so please ask me any questions you might have as we go. Uh, let's sum this all up by talking about the recent decision we got in the appellate division. Uh, this is a case for one of my clients, which is a large uh, construction entity providing uh, construction materials to remote work sites. In this case, we had an employee who was leaving the work site for the day. They were actually punched out and their workday was ended. They were in an employer-provided vehicle and were leaving our work site at the time. They appeared to intentionally cause the, their own accident. Uh, this employee was angry about a, a a work decision that had been made that was going to impact their uh, work at this employer. They got in the employer's truck and they drove it directly out of the employer's property, out of our lot, and right into a huge mound of gravel. They hit this mound of gravel at over 50 miles an hour. The truck went airborne, went flying through the air, uh, and eventually flipped and landed on its top. Uh, the employee was significantly injured. From the observers at the scene, they believed it was intentional. It appears that the employee was aiming to, to, to teach the employer a lesson, aimed right at this mound of gravel. Truck went airborne. There was no sign that the employee was hitting the brakes. In fact, it looks like they were accelerating as they hit this mound of gravel. Here's where the case gets interesting. Employee goes to the hospital immediately, uh, had to be taken by ambulances. Significant injuries to this employee. At the hospital, the employee refused to submit to an employer-required drug test. This was not a drug test that was being issued to just this employee. 
this is something that this employer does for all of their employees whenever there is a work-related accident. As soon as their condition is stable, uh, they dispatch a testing service and they request a drug test. Uh, this employee refused the drug test and they were promptly terminated from the employment. The employee then turns around and goes into the uh, New Jersey Workers' Compensation Division, files what's called a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits saying, hello, uh, I am owed wage compensation. There was no dispute about medical treatment. Medical treatment was provided and authorized by the employer and the insurance carrier. The only issue was whether or not he was entitled to temporary disability benefits. At the hearing, uh, the law judge found that uh, the employer had no right to t stop the temporary disability benefit despite the claimant's refusal to participate in the drug test. Now, the claimant testified on his own behalf and said, I don't remember anybody asking me to take a drug test, and that's as far as his testimony went. Uh, we argued this case back on November 7th before New Jersey's Appellate Division, and I argued this case for almost a complete hour on the record. Uh, and trying to explain why this counted or why this was really a voluntary removal from the workforce. This is someone who, after the accident occurred, and maybe it was going to be deemed compensable, I suspect it should have been denied, but uh, after the accident, then refuses to comply with something that was required by the employer, a drug test, which they do with all of their employees, and it's in their employee manual. Uh, the appellate division listened to this and ultimately reversed. Uh, and this is a very rare thing to happen in the New Jersey workers' compensation world. Very few cases are actually reversed. It's now going to be sent back to a trial judge on the issue of whether or not the, uh, uh, the petitioner is entitled to these benefits. In the meantime, the petitioner has been ordered to reimburse the employer over $90,000 worth of temporary disability benefits, all coming from that time after they refused the drug test. Now, this neatly, I think, uh, talks about uh, all the concepts that we really talked about today, whether you're entitled to temporary disability uh, and then the actions of the petitioner after that, uh, which then uh, limits their ability to get that uh, benefit. So pretty interesting uh, case. The law judge has been reversed and it's going to go back uh, before uh, the trial judge uh, next week, uh, actually. I think it's Tuesday. Uh, that the case will be listed. So I'll keep everybody updated as to the ultimate outcome of that case, but that's certainly an outcome that we're very proud of. All right, uh, this is totally live, so I hope people have been asking me questions. When you do that, it makes it a lot more fun for me and hopefully more useful for you. So let's go over to the questions and see what I have so far. All right, I'm seeing none. Either I'm an amazing presenter and did a great job, or uh, maybe you're still typing them up. So while you're typing them in there, I'll check one more time. I just want to remind everyone that our regular webinar series, it always meets this fourth Monday of the month. Next month, we'll be talking about successful defenses to motions for med and temp. A motion for med and temp is where the claimant uh, is able to file a pleading in court and take away our ability to control indirect medical care. Uh, this office was successful in a case called Calix. Uh, uh, versus R&R just uh, last year uh, in the appellate division in getting an order uh, of a judge of compensation ordering a motion for med in temp reversed. So these things can be fixed. Uh, however, defending motions for med in temp are very fact-based and have some uh, very clear procedural requirements, and we'll be talking about that in uh, next month's presentation. All right, I'm going back to the questions here. I still don't see anything popping up. In your handouts for today, I have included a download to the Hagag decision. That's the decision I just talked about uh, where the judge uh, was uh, reversed on the issue of uh, the proofs necessary for a refusal to submit to a drug test. 
Uh, if anyone has any questions, please feel free to contact me uh, either after this webinar or via email, and I'm very happy to answer any questions you may have. All right, I hope everybody has got a great day and a great month, and I'll see you next month.